Hello and welcome to season two of Desire to Destiny. This podcast explores the mystery behind our deepest desires and how we can engage them to become happier human beings. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can find those posted in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get all future episodes. Now, here's your host, Dr. Mike Larson. Back in October, when the news broke that Donald Trump tested positive for COVID-19, it was understandably a big deal. The virus had, after all, shut down the American economy and in many ways the world economy. It had endangered our health and our well-being, um, infecting millions of Americans, killing hundreds of thousands of others. And it further highlighted systemic ills that have been dividing our country for centuries And this virus was now threatening the well-being of our president. But people were divided on how to respond to it. Uh, There were those who wondered, do you offer well wishes and prayer? I mean, that's customarily what we do when someone gets sick. Regardless of your personal feelings about them, uh, you don't wish ill on anybody. You just hope they are able to stay healthy and get better. Uh, Do you shrug it off as no big deal? I mean, after all, that had been Trump's approach the whole time. It's no worse than the ordinary flu, he'd said. It's going to go away. It's going to disappear. He'd made light of it himself on many occasions. So probably wasn't really that big of a deal, right? Do you become suspicious that it's a political ploy? Is he just lying? Then when he recovers, it'll serve to prove his point. Or do you smugly respond with a I told you so attitude, thinking he deserved to catch COVID and whatever it brings with it? That was actually the kind of headline that caught my attention in a Medium article titled, Donald Trump Doesn't Deserve an Ounce of Your Compassion. It's pretty obvious the direction that this author was going in her response to Donald Trump catching COVID-19. As she explained, there were many reasons to deny Trump the customary sentiment of compassion and well-wishing that someone gets when they become sick. After him downplaying the virus, she said "It's, it's karma that he would catch it. She went on to explain it's his own fault. He deserves whatever he gets from it. She called him an unchecked narcissist and made many more points like this, all with the intention of convincing the reader not to spare any compassion for Donald Trump. Now, I'll admit, the overall premise that Trump somehow deserves to catch COVID makes some sense to me. I mean, he hasn't treated the spread of the virus as a main concern. Um, He seems to favor a herd immunity approach, um, even though he hasn't used that language necessarily. Um, And in some ways, he got what he wanted. He caught, got over, and now, as he says, has immunity. As a person who thought it was no big surprise that he caught COVID based on the way he was approaching it um, and wasn't particularly concerned, uh, I wasn't, for his well-being considering the level of care he would receive, I wondered why, as I was reading this article arguing that I didn't need to exercise any compassion for Donald Trump in the situation, that the more I read these incendiary comments about him, the more I started to feel just the opposite feeling, a growing compassion towards him. Now, I realized starting off This podcast episode, by talking about a political figure, has the potential to tune people out one way or another. 
Those of you who agree with the sentiments of the article, who are angry with Trump, who feel that he deserves no compassion and that giving any compassion in the situation would be enabling him, you may be thinking of checking out now. When I say, oh yeah, my compassion grew for him and reading that, you might say, that's enough. I, I don't want to hear anymore. On the other hand, those of you who support Trump, well, you may not be listening anymore. <laughs> you may have been ready to leave as soon as I mentioned the title of the article and thought this was some sort of a slam piece, which it's not. And if you're still with me, there's a reason that I start this with such a potentially divisive story. Our emotional response to stories like this uh, speaks to the, the just the divisive nature that we have in uh, opinions in the public sphere and politics and such. But it also is very much like the highly divisive nature of compassion. It helps highlight an important question each of us faces and how we treat those around us. Namely, that is, who is it that deserves compassion? And how do we know they deserve it? And just how much of our compassion do they deserve? In this current season, we're reflecting on the 13 attributes of God found in an ancient Hebrew text. Uh, The text is God's self-disclosure, a revelation of the divine character that begins with the words, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is compassionate and gracious. Now, these came when Moses was at a time of wanting to see God more clearly. In the epic tale of the exodus of the Israelite people through the wilderness, Moses was at a crossroads. He wasn't sure he could continue, and he said, God, I gotta gotta know who you are. And so, God began to reveal God's self to Moses to describe it in more detail. And these are the first two words, compassion and grace, the first two words that are added to the name of God, the Lord, or Yahweh, as we covered in a previous episode. And the first two words used to describe this ever-present God was compassion and grace. But what is this compassion? What is this grace? Well, in this text, the Hebrew word for compassionate is rahum. And it is one used almost exclusively of God. Uh, The primary idea appears to be this act of cherishing, soothing. Uh, It it infers a gentle emotion of the mind. It implies showing favor even when punishment is deserved. Uh, So this implies by God saying that God is compassionate in God's very being. This implies that God is filled with loving sympathy for human frailty. Um, that God doesn't put people into situations of extreme temptation and, and that God would ease the punishment of the guilty uh, even when they have done something wrong. Uh, this compassion is very understanding and goes to the depths of who we are. Now, the second word complements this very much. And uh, the word for gracious here is used only in describing God. It conveys the idea of friendliness, of providing assistance to those who have been overlooked and mistreated. So it's intentionally thinking towards those on the margins of society, those who would be neglected, those um, who would just be overlooked. In other words, God consoles the afflicted. He raises up those who have been oppressed and he shows mercy even to those who do not deserve it, which means this might actually turn around and not be mercy shown just to the oppressed, but also to the oppressor. Do you catch that? In both of these, in looking to describe the character of God, this all-present, all-powerful God, these first two words 
both speak to a God who is gently, gentle, uh, friendly, and who gives human beings better care than what is deserved. Better care than what is deserved. With that in mind, think back to a passage that I shared at the end of season one. It comes from the psalmist David, and it goes like this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Think for a minute about what is being promised here. Those desires that are being met, is this about what, what we earn? Uh, is this about what we deserve? No, it's, it's much more than that. Uh, what David is relaying here is that in compassion, God is eager to give us what we desire, uh, which goes far beyond what we deserve. For many of us, for many of us, this is too much to accept. It's too much to trust or to hope for. Um, we're very much locked into the idea of earning and deserving and merit and these kinds of concepts. And so we don't even know how to start believing in this kind of affection, in this kind of positive regard. And so if I tell you to, to draw closer to God and to trust this is how God truly is, it's likely that much of that would fall on deaf ears. Um, you may even be inclined to accept this this image that I'm portraying, you might say, yeah, I think God is probably like that, compassionate and gracious, gracious and limitless capacity and continually offering that. But something inside of you that is bent towards and inside of so many of us bent towards merit and what we deserve might keep you from fully embracing that. And that's because we are far too limited so many times in our practice and our experience of compassion with those we relate with on a day to day basis including politicians who get what they deserve. We don't feel this compassion coming from others. We don't offer it to others in this generous of a matter. We don't deal with this kind of unlimited positive regard day in and day out. And to the extent that we limit compassion to what is deserved, that we evaluate and analyze and determine, does this person actually deserve my compassion? To the extent we do that, this kind of compassion that's being spoken of as a divine quality, this limitless compassion, um, when we are just determining whether or not it's deserved, we're actually removing compassion entirely from the picture. So if you, if you wanted to trust more in a God of limitless compassion, and if you wanted to experience more of that compassion, you would have to begin by practicing and receiving compassion from those around you, practicing it towards them and receiving it from them. But if God is the image of limitless compassion, we human beings are anything but. Uh, we analyze, we withhold, uh, we determine who deserves it. As it turns out, our capacity is not uh, fixed in place. It is not something that is unchangeable. It is something that can grow. And our capacity to make this journey is largely determined by our understanding of individual desires in us and in those we seek to show compassion to. In other words, if we want to grow in our capacity to show compassion, then we must grow in our understanding of our desires and the desires of those around us. Now, let me explain to you why I say that is the case. On more than one occasion in this podcast, I've made reference to the 16 basic human desires and the profile created by Dr. Stephen Reese. 
intended to help you identify those desires or motivations at work in your life. It's the Reese Motivational Profile. And, and I feel like this can be a helpful tool for understanding desire in a way that not only helps you live into your uh, most joy-filled experience that can give you purpose and direction, but I think that it also can be very helpful in understanding the way desire fuels our compassion towards others. Beyond describing the 16 universal desires that are found in everyone to some degree, uh, Dr. Reese introduces a concept of favoring the desires that we are most familiar with, um, something that he calls self-hugging. Put another way, self-hugging is when you have a desire that is strong in you, you believe that it should be strong in everyone, and you evaluate their behaviors and their attitudes based upon that strong desire in you, even if the desire is not very important to them. So, for example, one of the basic human desires, one of the 16 listed on Dr. Reese's profile, is that for family. And if that is strong in you and you want to have a family, have a large family, have children that you that you nurture and that you take care of and that you maybe even come to the point of adapting your work schedule and staying home with them, all these things because family is just so important to you, you may not understand uh, a parent who doesn't prioritize that as much, has fewer children, spends less time with them, um, sends them off to school at an earlier age and and it is not frequently in just engaged in the life, or somebody who says, I don't want to have children at all. And you would have a difficult time if you were self-hugging, seeing the world through their eyes. You would just say, I just don't get it. I just don't understand how you can live that way. You might even think of them as being selfish, as um, just being uncaring, and start to judge them in that way. Um, and the reverse could also be true for someone who didn't care to have a family, would just couldn't fathom. Why would you want to have kids? Why would you want to have a family and all that, all the complications that that brings with it? This is the concept of self-hugging. If the desire is strong in you, it must be important to everybody. So you might already be able to see how this impacts compassion. Um, But to put it more explicitly, when we understand the motive or intent behind an errant behavior, we're more likely to be merciful in response to it. So if you have a strong desire for power, uh, maybe you feel we should be compassionate to a prominent leader when they make a public mistake. You've been a leader yourself. You've been in those situations and you say, look, it's easy to criticize. It's easy to throw stones at them because they're there in in the public eye. But it's hard to carry that kind of weight. It's hard to have to lead and to make those big decisions. We should show a little grace to them. Or if you have a strong desire for tranquility, for peace in your life. You might be compassionate to the person who avoids conflict, even if it causes them a great deal of personal harm. You'll say, hey, that's a tough conversation to have. I get it. You just don't want to get in that conflict. And even when you see their relationship suffering, you can still have compassion and understanding towards them. Um, I already spoke about, you know, if you have a strong desire for family, you might be compassionate towards the mother who wants to stay home with her kids, even if it makes it hard to make ends meet. On the reverse side of it, it also means you're less likely to understand those who are different from you, that you're likely to maybe start pulling away that compassion. You might say of somebody who has a high desire for status, why 
does she always want so much attention? You don't get it. And, and because of that, you think, well, then she doesn't deserve it. Maybe you're a teacher in a classroom and you see a student like this. You say, I'm just not going to give them the attention they want when it's a burning desire and need inside of them. Whereas if you understand that one, you, you might be more compassionate to it. Or you might say about somebody um, who just is not moved by any of the social justice issues stirring around in our world today, um, about any of the isms. And you say, why doesn't he care about anyone but himself? But many times people who are low on that desire for kind of social justice are, are very contained to what they can most immediately see and be uh, a part of, and they take care of those matters. And so this practice that we have of, of self-hugging, of valuing only the motives and desires in others that are also prominent in us, um, directly impacts how much compassion we are able to show to others. This is not to say that we are only capable of showing compassion to others who are like us, whose desires are similar to us. While our deepest desires are more or less fixed within us, they do have some variability over the course of our lives, but they're mostly fixed within us from childhood on. Um, While those are fixed, we can change our posture to those whose desires are different from us. Uh, We can learn to celebrate their unique personality and recognize that what leads to happiness for us is different than what leads to happiness for others, even those who might be very close to us, people within our own household at times. And this is what that divine revelation in the passage discussed earlier promotes in us. It encourages us to imagine a God that creates each of us with these unique desires and a God that's capable of generously supporting these diverse pursuits of happiness, that's able to see people through a wider lens. That compassion is limitless because God can see to the core and to the heart of who we are. And that the promise within it is that not only do we find this compassion for ourselves from God, but that in embracing this compassion, our hearts uh, become more open, uh, that they become more receptive um, to the life that we're living and towards the life of others and towards sharing that kind of compassion that God gives to us to all those we encounter. Now, if we're able to change our thinking in this regard um, by considering the different desires that are at play or the different motives that people might carry of seeing people in a fuller picture with the same kind of compassionate lens that God sees us through, if we're able to, to change this, it can go a long ways towards helping us with the issue of compassion fatigue. Many of you may be familiar with this because the truth is that so many of us want to exercise compassion towards others. We believe in its power to change. We don't think that you just need to ride people endlessly and to judge them ruthlessly to help direct them onto the right path. But compassion also takes a lot of energy. And I see this all the time working in healthcare. We encounter people from so many different backgrounds with different expectations and personalities. And sometimes we struggle to understand those needs. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by those needs. And even even people whose needs we understand, even people we connect with easily, even those who offer gratitude for the service that we give can still drain us because the work that we do is so intense and deals with life or death matters on a regular basis. That fatigue occurs much faster 
when we are unable to discern where and how somebody needs our compassion. I think of an experience I had in an emergency room with a patient that came in who had been a part of a car accident. And uh, I came in to, to check on them and to hear just, just to see how they were doing, you know, um, how they were feeling emotionally about the whole situation, how they uh, were responding to their unfolding medical condition. And after talking to this person for several minutes, I noticed that he, he kept sharing with me only about one thing. He kept just talking about this special truck of his that he was taking down to a car show. He was actually on the trip uh, for that. And he talked about the work he'd put into it and it become, it became damaged and, and um, just how distraught he was about his truck not being okay and what had happened to it. And at some point in time, I mentioned to him the, the physical injuries that he had from the accident. And I said, you know, I, I notice all you're talking about is your truck. I haven't heard anything about your body, but I understand that you've, you know, broken such and such bones and, and you know, you have this recovery time. How do you feel about that? And he started to point to one area on his body after another, starting at his foot and then going over to his wrist and his arm. And he started to tell me a story with each one of this is how I broke my ankle and this is how I dislocated my shoulder and this is how I broke my forearm and he concluded with I can replace all those and I have before I can't replace my truck I can't get that show back and he just looked at me as tears welled up in his eyes not too long after that his family his his wife and daughter showed up in the emergency room and they were there to comfort him and console him and try to just, you know, check on him and see that he was all right. And, and they, after a while, kept coming back to the refrain of like, you know, at least you're alive, at least you're alive. It's so good that you're alive. And he just wasn't really um, taking it in as they were saying it. And I was thinking to our conversation and I thought, you know, he, he probably doesn't care too much to hear about that because he's still, his heart is broken over his truck. And at one point after they had talked to him for several minutes and encouraged him and say, we're just, you know, you're lucky you're alive. You're lucky you're alive. He turned and looked at me and his eyes filled up with tears again. And my eyes started to fill up with tears. And we just nodded and looked at each other as to say, they don't get it. But, but I do. And there we were. And I'm, it's not lost on me. The fact that the, uh, the two tough guys in the room were the ones getting ready to cry. Now, maybe that story doesn't make any sense to you, or maybe it makes a whole lot of sense to you, because in a room where it would seem that all that matters is, well, you're alive, you're alive, this guy couldn't think about anything else but his truck. But so much of what he loved was wrapped up in that. So much of what he desired, the companionship that he experienced with, with the people that he gathered with, the ambitions that he had, um, the years he had worked putting into this uh, and yeah, he was alive. He was alive on the outside and his body was hurt, but it was healing and he was alive. But on the inside, he had died. He died on the inside because what he really desired was gone. And what he needed compassion for was not, oh, you'll get better. Aren't you lucky to be alive? He just needed somebody that could feel his sadness over a lost truck. And so often, just like that wife and that daughter, we don't get where other people are. We don't get 
where their sadness really is. And we don't understand how to give them the compassion, not just that they, whether they deserve it or not, the compassion that they need. After reading the article I told you about in the introduction, I took a trip to a very hazardous destination. You might know it as the comment section. I mean, we all know better than to go there. It's like rule 101 of social media, never read the comments. But sometimes you just can't help yourself, right? I mean, sometimes I have to know what Steve163 from Austin is going to say in response to Baltimore Betty's snarky meme. I have to know this. And I went there. One of the top responses resonated with me uh, very well. One from Mr. Kabner. I have no idea what his real name is. But he said in response to the article that Donald Trump doesn't deserve an ounce of your compassion. He told the author, you may be correct in everything you say, but I can't forget the advice of Gandalf to Frodo. And then he recites this moment from Lord of the Rings where Frodo says, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. Gandalf replied, pity? It's a pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play in it for good or evil before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. And the author of that comment went on to conclude, true compassion and mercy are extended to the undeserving. What if we could see others in a different light, like Gandalf did here? What if we could see others the way uh, God does in the passage above, the compassion that sees our entire humanity, our, our, our desires and our passions and our weakness and our frailty? What if compassion could become something that is given when we need it, is given even when we don't deserve it? When you struggle to find compassion for another person, what if you asked yourself, what is it they desire? What is it that motivates them? What is there to validate in them and in their experience? When you find yourself struggling to give compassion to yourself, what if you took time to reflect on the desires that were stirring in you, the needs that were emerging, where you needed compassion, even if you didn't feel like you deserved it? And it's not to say that all our ways of pursuing our desires are equally healthy and good. No, we can certainly make a mess of things. But it is to say that it's at those moments, it's at that exact time when we need compassion most of all. And you may just find that as you practice this compassion towards others, you are made more able to accept it for yourself, to name those desires which are longing to be fulfilled. You might find yourself more able to believe in a compassionate and gracious existence, in a compassionate and gracious God. And you may find that your hope grows in the lasting happiness that life can bring. And it's my prayer that as you do grow in this path, that you will find that you get much more happiness than you ever thought you deserved. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Desire to Destiny. We hope it inspires your next step on the pathway of happiness. As you go, we'd love to hear from you. 
send your comments or questions about the show to desire to destiny at ramada.org and subscribe to get any future episodes.